I worked for enough assholes in my life that I know how I don't want to be and how I don't want to run a company. Okay. I want to do things different with, with our team because when you look after your team, your customers are getting looked after as well. I love to talk to the customers. I love to get that feedback, good and bad. But your people have to be there to support it because we all spend more time at work than we spend with our families, you and me anyways, but they also the team and the employees, right? Eight hours a day, you're, you're gone from home. And I'm truly passionate about them, not just to keep them around, but about them so they can grow as individuals. Let's go back. We skipped over it. We got on a little bit of a tangent there, but let's back up to the beginning of the company and your transition to Canada, working as agronomist for Cargill. And you alluded to it, but in the speech about how you got working with some colonies and optimizing and calibrating their equipment, and then they asked for it. And then obviously one thing led to another. Here we are. Here you are. But tell us, tell us about how that, how you got to, to building a company from zero. It was wild. It was really wild. You know, it was always playing around with some of those prototypes. And then when I came to Canada, I was working on a farm in Ontario, like I said, on a forage harvester, and then came out west, worked on a couple other farms, wanted to see the west. And then Cargill had that open job for an agronomist, and I just applied. They were looking for somebody with practical experience. Well, and there was, like, yeah, we have an opening in Brandon, <laughs> Nesbit. I was like, I don't know. I don't know anybody in Brandon. I don't even know what Nesbit is, but I'll try that. So moved to Brandon. I happened to move in as a roommate. And I lived with them for years. It's awesome friends. Their, their mom and dad, they call me son. Like really, I, I was very fortunate to meet really great people in Brandon. It's like home now. So I'm working for Cargill and Nesbitt and Carberry as agronomist and then run into that, that colony. And they had a lot of fusarium in there, in their wheat sample. And I was like, oh, dang it. I was the agronomist that told them, you know, what to do in the crop and spray and, and all that stuff. And it's like, I better go out there and check because the elevator didn't really want to take the stuff. It was bad. It was a very bad year. Everybody had fusarium. So I went out there, figured out they were throwing out three and a half bushel in the first place in wheat. Okay. They had, at that time, they were running three combines. So we reduced that harvest loss down to about half a bushel. And at the same time, used our prototypes to drop more pans and figure out what's in the sample in the grain tank versus what's coming out the back. And all the farmers in the area, they were talking about this fusarium and everybody says, oh, I just turn up the wind and just blow the fusarium out the back. Just, just turn it up a bit. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's great, but how much? And there's so many <laughs> other things inside a combine that, that make that, that make or break that, right? So, and how much more do you throw out the back? So we set up the combines different. We dialed in the samples. I took some samples back to the elevator. So all of a sudden we were blowing the fusarium out the back and they were able to market the grain through the elevator. Some of it was a three. There was maybe a few loads of number two. Field was a little variable, but again, we did a lot more testing for that, but it helped them. So the lucky thing on this, I have to say that too, because there's always a little bit of luck in life too. So it's not all what you know and what you do in the moment. You also need a little bit of luck. And the luck was there that the fusarium moved into the kernels fairly early and the fusarium kernels were very light and it was easy to blow them out the back. But you had to prove of what, Come, actually out, comes out the back versus what's in the tank. And that's what we did with the pants. We were able to verify that. So the week after, they, they, they called in and I said, hey, Marcel, do you know how much money you saved us there last week? We, we, we reckon about you know, $65,000, $70,000-ish. 
that you saved us there. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And they're like, yeah, you do have some of those gadgets? Because... <laughs> I said, well, not not really. And then, you know, and they were buying, all of a sudden they were buying fertilizer from me and then seed and whatnot, right? And then head office is like, so why is this agronomist selling that stuff down there, right? And it's like, well, I have these relationships because I did this and this, this with a combine and there's a few other farmers I did this with. And they're like, oh, well, use it. Like use that thing as much as you want. Like, <laughs> just put it in your agronomy program. And, you know, most of the other... <laughs> And not knocking them, but most of the other agronomists, you know, they would go on vacation and when harvest is going on. And fair enough, they work their butts off all spring spraying. They work yeah. really hard. But I would go out at harvest and they would, like, they would people throw out three, four, five, sometimes six bushel out the back. And not just canola. You know, people talk about canola a lot. We see it in oats and wheat. We even see it in soybeans and corn in some areas where... Where it's not, and it's not always the driver's fault. I'm not blaming the driver. Bushel Plus is not blaming the driver. It can also be the combine or something set up wrong or something broken. But seeing that clicked something in my brain. I was like, well, I work my butt off all spring and try to sell the best seed, the best fertilizer, you know, and sell the spray and this thing. And hey, this is a half a bushel more, two bushel more here. And then at harvest, we're trucking three out the back. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, why? I said to the, yeah. my farmers, I might as well just stay at home all spring. And again, <laughs> I want to reiterate that not yeah. to make the farmers in Brandon look bad. Yeah, I've seen the same thing in Germany, Eastern Europe, Russia, in Siberia, Brazil, anywhere I went, Canada. It, it, the same thing happened all over the place. And that's why our educational sessions are so successful right now where we do combine clinics and farmers come to us. We did a bunch of stuff in Texas and Florida this spring. We were teaching people how to grow uh, carinata. It's like a canola-like crop, but they have a lot of experience with like cotton and corn. So they want to learn about this kind of stuff. So we did a lot of combine clinics down there. And, but then we also did combine clinics in Montana and Mon in Manitoba in areas where canola is normal since decades, right? So we're doing these clinics and we have a farmer, specifically one example I'll pick, comes to us and says, I've been doing 30 years of custom combining. What I've learned today, I've never heard anywhere else before. Like you guys know combines and what you explain makes total sense. And I'll try that. And a matter of fact, some of the stuff I know will work because I tried this and this and this before. So we're connecting a lot of that knowledge now with a bushel plus and the value that goes out there, because for us, it's not about selling. It was never go back to starting the company. It was never about selling something and making money on this. It was always about, Oh, wow. There's, there is something and there's a solution to it. There's value. It's all about the value add to the farm, because if you don't bring something to the farm that adds value, don't bother. They have enough stuff on the go. They're busy. It has to be fast, quick, and easy. I'm a farm kid. I know how it is. When the combine sits in the field for two minutes, it feels like three hours. It bugs everybody. I get it. You know, that's why it has to be fast, quick, and simple. That's what our solutions are. And at the same time, you have to also show the value of it. So for example, we've did a bunch of demos and tests in our software. So our smart drop app will break it down, not just to bushel per acre loss, but also to dollars per acre and even more interesting dollars per hour lost and mm. there is a lot of examples out there where it's 800 to 1200 dollars an hour lost out of the machine out the back so i never made 1200 dollars an hour 
I don't know if you ever made that plan <laughs> in your job there. I have, but, uh, no, you no. know, you know, and then and then tell me you don't have time to set up the combine for 20 minutes if we're chucking out $1,200 out the back. And the best example is here that our QDM video, if you don't know if you've seen that from Quick Dick Mac Dick there, where he did where he did the whole video on the whole setup, where it, he walks exactly through all these examples. And I can get very technical now because it's not just measuring losses. It's about calibrating the loss sensor. It, we don't want to have the farmers dropping that pan every five minutes. You know, we want to calibrate the loss sensor as you go. So you can trust your sensor display in the cab because when that is not, when that is not calibrated properly and benchmarked of what's like when it's in the green in the cab, there should be less loss out the back. And when it's red, it should be a lot loss out the back. That should be correlating. But you can change the sensitivity in between that sensor and the display, which means you have a sensor plate. And if a lot of kernels are hitting that sensor in the back, you know, in correlation, that display should go up. But if you turn the sensitivity down, then a lot of kernels are hitting this plate and the display only goes into green. And you fool yourself. Same the other way around. This, the sensitivity is all the way up and the kernels hit the plate, it will show a lot of loss and you, we will just start to, to drive slower. So what, with our pan, what we do is we calibrate that loss sensor and the display that you know, okay, if there is in the green, there is little loss. And then you can actually trust that display and probably can drive faster with your combine. And we have a lot of farmers now that are pushing more acres with their combine. Comes all back to sustainability and less fuel. And it's not just the drop pen or the smart pen system, as we call it now. It's also the concaves. And take that further to automation. If somebody out there sells you a combine and tells you, just push the button and it will just push the auto button and go, you can stop the conversation <laughs> right there because it doesn't work. That's not how it's designed. Yeah. That automation software does the same thing as the user does in the moment. It looks for the display, if it's green or red, and then adjusts the combine accordingly, which means if that sensor is not calibrated, the automation doesn't run the combine efficient enough or even slows it down. And we have that feedback from the highest people in OEMs that are coding that software and that are the engineers working on those machines. Because... We work with the major OEMs and they, they've bought every single OEM has our Bushel Plus smart pen systems and they use them in their R&D department, their demo department, their marketing. And they have given us the feedback of, yeah, we're not setting up one of those machines without a pen because we know the crane sensor needs to be calibrated. But that message has to spread to the farmers because a lot of the marketing out there is push the button and go. And that doesn't work. And so a lot of our job is education. And sometimes, you know, it's tough because we do a lot of the education that, 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 that should come from, from a lot of other sources. And as you see, I get pretty passionate about technical well, stuff. Well, it's a right crazy away. cultural thing too, as you're talking, a whole bunch of stuff came up. But one of, one of the things I was thinking about too is when I sold John Deere sprayers mm. and how much the nozzles, the part of the sprayer that actually meters the chemical and the nozzle calibration and everything like that was so much of an afterthought when you're dealing with so much, there's so many dollars and, and what the crop is worth and, you know, the value of the passes and, you know, there's all kinds of considerations of systemic versus contact, you know, and drift and 
and right, pressure so and proximity to the target. Yeah. So it was really interesting because that was the last conversation. I usually separated that out and said, okay, let's talk about that once the heat of the battle with the, you know, negotiating for the deal of the sprayer is done here. Let's take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, you got to calibrate this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But come back when we're fresh and we'll, we'll talk about the nozzles and stuff because by the time we were done dealing on the sprayer and all the tires and the horsepower and how did it ride and, you know, the ergonomics of the where the controls are and the size of the booms, it was like the nozzles was an afterthought. And it's incredible. I was also thinking as you're talking about the cumulative effects, if you can just get better in some of those areas, get your sensors more accurate, get your combine more productive, use less fuel, throw less over, get more into the bin, have less volunteers, on and on and on and on. Get rid of fusarium. Volunteers, yes, volunteers, right? More tillage again, more spraying. There is so many things that are coming. It's not, that's why I tell people, it's not just a drop pen. It's a system to learn more about your machine to make your whole farm more efficient. Are you going to make a chopper that kills weed seeds? We're not going to build a chopper that kills weed seeds because we're working with those three OEMs that built them. Oh, okay. We work with okay. them already. And the funny thing too, in order to make these mills work, guess what they need? A smart pan system because you have to make sure that the weed seeds are actually going through the mill and getting destroyed. For everybody who doesn't know who we're, what we're talking about, it's a mill that sits behind the sieves that takes all the material that comes off the sieves and destroys it like a hammer mill. And it's supposed yeah. to destroy the weed seeds that are coming through the combine. It's coming from Australia, actually, that we've have we've done a lot of work with them and still yep. continue to work. Redicop? As well. Redicop, yeah, IHSD and Seed Terminator, all three. Yeah. And they're actually all three in our app. So in our Smart Drop app, it's customized to figure that out, what your grain loss is with these mills, plus where your weed seeds are coming from. For example, the weed seeds have to go over your sieve in the mill to get destroyed so it don't regrow. But if your combine is set up wrong and your weed seeds are going through the rotor and you put them through the chopper, you spread the whole weed seeds past, bypass the mill and spread it out again in the field and it keeps regrowing. So guess what? Concaves and knowledge about how the combine works and then figure out with a drop pen if you found cr crushed weed seeds or not, it's very important to set up these mills. So, yeah, and that's why they are in our Smart Drop app as like a default already. So we've worked with their engineers and I have a lot of respect for those companies because there's, in Australia, it's it's needed. This weed seed resistance is, is a lot bigger down there as it is here, but it's coming. And that's a whole other podcast we can do on weed, resist, weed seed resistance and harvest weed seed control. There's a lot going on there. Well, people should go to your clinics, obviously. I mean... I mean, I'm sure you could talk about a lot of this stuff for days. Yeah, that's you got to keep me in the line here today at this podcast a little bit. So, but I was wondering though, why wouldn't you become the equipment optimization company eventually? Because I can see similar gaps in seeding, spraying, spreading, all that stuff. I like the way you think, Dan. Are you looking for a job, by the way? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> I might be. You never know. No, I just, <laughs> you're way too successful. It's all good. No, just, no, no, no. Just, I'm just bugging you. If only, uh, if only we felt that way, right? You oh know, man, it always feels like I just feel I get so humbled all the time. Do you feel like you're not doing enough? Yeah, I struggle with a lot of that, and and some of it too is just insecurities, right? And and you look back and you look at all the stuff I did out of insecurity, trying to be this or that. 
hopefully we get wiser and calmer and more mature over time, but it's a combination of things. But then I have to remind myself, I have, I'm living my dream. Obviously scale is one perspective, but when I think about it, I have an awesome company. I'm extremely proud of our product and what we do have the privilege of working with a $12 billion, you know, waste management company on environmentally friendly fertilizer. Got a fantastic team. That incredible. You know, the team's just great. That, that you do. Yeah. They're good people. It affords me the opportunity to do this. Like when you get talking about, you know, marketing, but not so much even the marketing it's, I love, I guess, ideas and, and sharing marketing would be like combining and calibrating is to you. But at the end of the day, the net result is I wouldn't have been afforded this opportunity to get to know you like this and, and share this with the world. This is my flow. This is my fortune. This is what makes me happy. And it's a huge honor that, you know, I just hope everybody can kind of find that thing that works for them in the same context. And so, yeah, whether you walk out of this show into a shitty little apartment in a basement suite in Brandon or a, or a mansion, that doesn't make you happy one way or the other. It's these moments that are, are highly valuable, I think. I but. have the basement apartment, so <laughs> I do have that. Exactly. <laughs> As too. a roommate. I, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, same with me, bro. I'm a twice divorced single guy. I don't have a six bedroom house in, in Brookwood yet. <laughs> yet so but here's the thing wow. man you should be you should be proud of that but it's hard when you think about this for yourself but let me ask you a question like was it the same for you when you were when you had a job before you started your own business did you have the same feelings that you were not doing enough and pushing yourself or did it really start stressing you more when you became self-employed you know what i mean was there a switch in a, ever in your life i think i've always had a lot of the same background that you have because my dad was an extremely hard-working guy as well as my mom not to say my mom didn't work really hard but obviously we relate to our our fathers in terms of you know the farm and, and the career in that context and i think it was just one of those things where like any farmer or anybody in business how many acres is enough how, how much equipment is enough how much success is enough but when i was specifically to your question when i was when i was selling sprayers Really, a lot of my career was was thinking like, am I going to sell enough to have a job? Am I doing enough? And really at the time, I would say there maybe wasn't that structure that really gave me that context to understand, am I doing a good job or what's the proper metrics? Like it was pretty much, and, and I appreciated that. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying anything against anybody, you know, in that, in that context of like, I was very grateful for the opportunity, but it was more or less like, you know, Here's a notebook, here's a truck, here's a laptop, go. Mm. So now I recognize, I can see the struggle in some of the staff, some of the times when they're really, they care a lot and they want to do really good, but they're so new, they're anxious about making mistakes and they think it's going to have an impact on, on their career and whatnot. And the funny thing is too, I find there's an inverse relationship between like how anxious you are about that and how insecure you are about that and how concerned you are about that and your actual performance. Because when you stop making mistakes is when you gain that certain level of confidence. So looking back, I realized there's all kinds of things, you know, just like being insecure about what you do, not valuing, valuing what you do when you're doing it. My dad gave me some great advice. I was to remind myself, hey, do whatever you're doing now to the best of your ability and really enjoy it. And that probably goes back to that old wisdom where he, you know, intuited about flow before he ever probably never read the book. I know he never read the book. But Harvey's never really said to me like, hey, I read this book and you should, you know, he's not a big, big reader guy. 
but he intuited that if you do what you're doing really well, like super good things will come from that one thing from another. But I, I had, I had a struggle enjoying what I was doing in the moment. And now that I look back on my sprayer career, it's been such a weird thing. Cause of course you see people at trade shows from all over Western Canada. My last year I sold like 70 sprayers, right? So that gives you an idea of this. I did it for 13 years, yeah. 70 deals made. And I probably talked to a lot more people, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't know how to value those relationships as much as I should have. And now I look back and and people say, oh yeah, I still have the sprayer you sold me. Or, oh, I remember you were a good salesman. And I, I always thought it was kind of adversarial, you know, because when people are buying equipment, it's such an emotional thing. And you're kind of the bad guy, given the dollar's difference. You're kind of the asshole salesperson that comes out with the pointy shoes and the cockies and this, <laughs> oh, this cocksucker is going to ruin my life here with the price he's going to give me. <laughs> but now they're like, some people have said like, oh, you're the best salesman that we ever had. or And it was a different area too. Like it was the Wild West. So you could go yeah. horse wrangle and just really mix <laughs> it up. And we just got that shit flowing, you know, like shit through a goose. It was fun. The flip side of that was at a certain point too, just like you in the in the forest or, or in the forest harvester, the harvest forager, the corn forage harvester. You get to a point where it's like we say in Saskatchewan, shooting fish in a barrel. I don't know if you've heard that expression. Oh, but it's it's too easy. It's too, it got too easy shooting fish in a barrel. That's a Saskatchewanism. And so that's where I took a wild leap into the great unknown as an entrepreneur, left off a cliff, built a plane on the way down. I barely landed the rig the first time because I didn't succeed. Like I was working for another company where I was hoping to be a partner. That was the plan. That was agreement. But everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, said Mike Tyson. And, and that's very true, although I've never boxed. But that is entrepreneurship. Like day one, Things went horribly sideways with with uh, basically a fatal fatal accident that the owner suffered with. We'd lost his brother. And um, his, sorry, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just something I That's walked tough. into, and uh, this guy went through this this situation, and and that was the context of the coming into the company, right? And that was the day after I we made an agreement, and the day before I was start to I was supposed to start. So, but you know how that goes too. Life can take some wild turns. Because you went through that yourself. You almost lost your life in an accident in Australia. Tell us about that. Yeah, Australia, it's been a life-changing event, 100%. Let me touch on one other thing here quickly, because sure. I, I, I got yeah. to take the opportunity here on a little bit of marketing without taking away from, from those life-changing events. Because yes, that is a big portion of life. You know, I, I'm sorry you had to go through that kind of stuff. It shapes you and it, it, it sometimes it kicks you. Life kicks you right to the guts. And you know, you think you have a plan and then something happens and boom. And that's part of my, like my job right now is, is firefighting. People say, oh, what, what do you do now? Yeah, I got the fancy title. Yeah, the fancy CEO founder title. But that doesn't mean that I'm just sitting around doing nothing and everybody else does a job. I'm still with them in the trenches. I, I, I'll let them handle it. But where I was going with this is that I have the title, but it's the, it's the firefighting. That's where I was going. You know, you, you still have to run the day-to-day business. Something happens, you have to address it right away. Something else, something bigger happens and you're always in between all these things to keep everything going. And you mentioned the equipment optimization company, right? I mean, we're very much focused on harvest. But interesting thing, what we did, we're actually continuing business. We are continuing the business of a company called Agra Training. So ag training in Europe. So we, we took on that work last summer. We took over all the assets of the company where the owner is going to retire. And he did the last 15 plus years, nothing else but 
combine education, combine clinic for dealers, for farmers. And it was all over Europe. He's also done some stuff in South America, North America, really interesting guy. Uh, but again, time to retire. So, and there we, he has also done forage harvester clinics and efficiencies around that. So it's, it's something we're getting into as well. We all got some requests in Europe for this already. We're working very closely with our German distributor who's executing that for us in Europe. So, you know, we're not, it's, it's definitely around equipment, but mostly around very focused on harvest right now. We definitely want to, I don't want to stand in front of a group and say the wrong things or talk about stuff that I'm not comfortable with. I want to make sure we give sound advice and we are passionate about harvest. So let's start with harvest and then go from there. There's the same kind of opportunities to calibrate your seeder, your sprayer, your spreader in the same fashion. And you might not have the same degree of length and width and girth of gold nugget that you found with, Hey buddy, you just saved me 70 grand. Like, will you marry my daughter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That hasn't happened yet, but you never know. Uh, (laughs) Keep at it. It's going to happen any day. Yeah. it's. um, I love your product so much. I want you to marry my daughter. Well, here's what farmers have said at trade shows. So, and it blew me away. They they come to the booth and they, and I quote, okay, thanks for building this. And thanks for bringing this to market. This has made That's my awesome. life a lot easier. I'm like, pardon me, what? So like, it's been a lot of those relationships with our customers have really turned into like friendships, you know, family. Like it's been, it's been a journey and a half, a hundred percent. So in this egg training now is, is another step of us evolving as the harvest optimization company, a hundred percent. And, you know, back to oh, people cool. that have helped me, I, I wouldn't be here without a lot of good people. That's why I'm so passionate about helping others doing the right thing and have the right culture where, you know, when we hire new people, it's, you know, I, I tell them, if you walk into a dealership, I expect everybody to talk the same. doesn't matter if it's the person that cleans the toilets or the CEO or the owner of the company. We talk to everybody the same. We want people that respect each other. And the parts people or the manager, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a manager or whatever else. Like we talk to everybody the same. The CEO, the C, to your point, the CEO should be cleaning the piss on the toilet, just like anybody else do. Well, right? sorry, maybe they take a little bit. Maybe I said, yeah, maybe I said that the wrong way. But what I try to say in my head is, you know, no, I agree. When I walk into a dealership, I say hi to the person that cleans the toilet the same way I say hi to the CEO of yeah. the company. Yeah, because we, we're all just human beings. Okay. We're all just robots. Yeah. And I wouldn't be here today if I would not have that help from the people along the way. And that is people that helped me learn English, people that helped me living in their basements when I was working on farms, you know, coming yeah. to Canada yeah. fresh. I lived on an air mattress for the first year and a half because I didn't know if I would get a work visa in Canada. I had applied for a work visa, but I'm an immigrant. I, I came with a bag That's of clothes. That's why you're so tall. You were laying on an air mattress? Basically, got, yeah. It was leaking you're on only one six side. Foot two. Like, you're only six foot two when you came. Now you're six foot three and a half. Yeah, they're just about. And <laughs> with all the cowboy boots, six foot five. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just some of that kind of stuff. I want to I want to give back and, and keep that culture alive. Because again, we're not robots. I always say that all the mental health stuff are too, you know, passionate about that and have that the right way laid out in our team as well. We're not robots. We're all just people. That's the beauty of where you've gotten to now. You do have the capability and the capacity to to give back. And I think that just like being a father or a husband or, you know, community volunteer or or giving back, those roles will shape you in such a way 
that it's very fruitful. And when you talk about mental health as a business owner, that's that's pressure. There's a different kind of pressure, but it's not yeah. necessarily always the pressure of external events. Because I've found in business, I should be like theoretically, I should be completely non-reactionary. Because technically, given my experience to date, I never know if it's a challenge or an opportunity, or I, I never know that that challenge isn't going to open up some kind of opportunity that I would never have dreamt of if that didn't happen. So we shouldn't react to events. But it's the it's the mental health that comes from putting the pressure on yourself. I already know you, buddy, because we're a lot alike in that way. Yeah, it's tough because you care, right? You you do really care. It's tough to see this in the moment sometimes. And and you're right. It the best things could come out of the worst things that may happen to you. Sometimes you got to say it's just business. It's like a sport. That's something I've had to learn. You know, in self differentiate and become detached. Like okay. It's it's business. It's like a sport. I mean, there's winners, there's losers. There's, you know, you can compete against somebody, but you don't have to hold it against them as a human being. You know, you can be kind and respectful and still have some, you know, beer with them after. Yeah. See, it's like it's like Dan is not sulfur fertilizer, right? Marcel is not a smart pen. Or in other words, Dan is not the company. Marcel is not the company. Like the company yeah. can fail knock on wood. That's a tough one. And it's a very tough one, but you are still Dan and I'm still Marcel, but we're, are but we here's the thing. We're, we haven't tested that theory. We're broken inside. <laughs> I tell you that right now, you and me will be, know. will be broken inside. We'll be broken before it even comes to that point, because we will be devastated if we even feel the slight way of that. And, you know, trust me, I'm, I think about Germans think about worst case scenario first before they oh, think about anything else. It's horrible. I know. So, I can extrapolate right out to like jumping on a bridge. Like this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Yeah. And this is going to happen. And, and then I need to go jump into the icy waters of the, you know, the, and the Cinnaboyne river and just it's over, but it's, and then you look over and then you look in, in your head, you look over <laughs> on that bridge. You're like, there's three other entrepreneurs being, oh. and I, I know that's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough topic to joke about, but I know how you're joking about it. And I know exactly what you mean because you get in your head, right? You're like, oh shit, now this has happened and this, and now it's this. And what if I can't do payroll? I can't do this. I guess it, it's tough. Huge. It's a, it's a lot of this is a mental game and is the, the perseverance of pulling through tough shit. And it's a grind, you know, it is not an easy thing. It's not for everybody. And I'm not saying that we're better or special in terms no, of better no. than other people. That's not what I'm saying at all. I have respect no. for everybody out there that has a job or has their own business. But the pressure on this is something that you can only appreciate if you had it or went through. And if you don't have, I mean, a lot of people probably don't have it to the extent that you and me have it because we are getting where I, I know you a bit by now, you know, so it's, we're getting very passionate about these things and very caring, but I think you also need that in order to drive the business to the next level, in order to care for your people. If you're completely heartless and ruthless, you can maybe do something for a couple of years, but is that sustainable? If everybody thinks after a couple of years that you're the biggest asshole and you don't respect people, that is not good. That is not sustainable. That means you don't care. You know, I've met some really great business people that through some lens, maybe, maybe it's, I don't know how to say this, but it's, it's almost some, I met some really ruthless business people 
Well, there's enough. Out, yet, there is enough out there, unfortunately. Sorry, I had to say that. Keep going. No, it, it's true. But you also have to understand that the way that they view it doesn't make them a bad person because they could be a different way with their family. It's just that the way that they see it. And it's it to me, it's like a race car driver who knows the rules well enough to push so hard that they're just on the cusp of breaking it. Or sometimes they break the rules, but they still win the race. And does that make them a bad person? So sometimes you got to look at the context of it all. But I know that there's a fine line there. Like for myself, I'm probably not the number one business guy on planet Earth. Let's be real. I could have made a lot more money if I had done things differently. But that wasn't always the most important thing to me. I think the most important thing to me was feeling like I'm growing, that my future is going to be bigger than my past, that I'm going to be continually expanding and evolving. Because when I get into that German doom mode, is when I feel like my my world might shrink. Then I start extrapolating dark futures where it's like, I don't want to be in that future. Yeah, I can second that. I couldn't say it any better. And it comes to the human aspect too. You know, like you, you had Trevor on your podcast from Radio Cup Manufacturing, yeah. right? Yeah. Awesome guy. He's awesome. Ton of respect for the guy. Yeah, you, you had lots of great people on your podcast that I respect a lot. And it's been awesome, yeah. I'm picking on Trevor here, you know, and I... We might be running out of time for some of the other stuff, but I want to give Trevor a shout out here because when I was in Australia in the hospital, he was coming to Australia for business, but he made a point of coming from the airport to the hospital and we had a 45 minute visit and he gave me the biggest TED, one of the biggest TED talks that I ever had in my life. And then he went out of my room and he turned around and he says, and do not call me in the next six months about business. If you call me and you want to talk about business, I hang up the phone. <laughs> You're going to take that time to care for yourself and get better because you're pretty beaten up. And, you know, he took that time. He, he's busy. He's busy is not even a word. He's super busy, okay? And he takes the time to drive with his distributor there at the time to the hospital, tries to find me too. That's the other thing too. He was able to find me there too through an interesting connection and visits me, takes the time out of his day to tell me about his own life and how he built his business. And now he it just helped me to put this in perspective, right? And then he's like, so sorry, I really got to go. We got a bunch on the go. And I was like, yeah, no, th thank you. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I'm just strapped yeah. to a bed and like, that's Trevor from Ritikoff. And he made, the, he said like Marcel, yeah, he's a gem. he said, Marcel, you can be the, if you, you, can, you can sell millions and millions of dollars in the world, but if you're the biggest asshole, nobody comes to visit you in a hospital. Just remember that. Because this, and this is the reason, like business is business. And, you know, you're worried about your business right now and all the stuff in the future, but you have to get yourself better first. That's what he meant by that. Like you have to get yourself better first. And obviously people are helping you because they, they know you. And this is not easy for me to say that this is not supposed to sound arrogant. See, now my brain kicks in again about these things. But yeah. Yeah, it's a default mold. It, you know, you gotta you gotta work through it. Yeah, the default mold. What is that like though, Marcel? When you're laying in a in a hospital room in another country with you know on the other side of the world with your with your company, your baby, your everything, so far away, and you can't you can't really do anything. Like you can move a little finger, <laughs> Morse code. There, it was rough. You know, you can move your eyeballs. Yeah, you, you were pretty can... banged up. What happened there? I was pretty, it was pretty rough. I had a lot of fractures in my upper body. So basically you lay in your bed and you can look at the ceiling. 
like you look at the ceiling because you're basically strapped down to bed. In the first few days, I didn't even know what I what was all broken and what was all going on. And the first couple of days, I was out like light. Like the first call to home was basically Marcellus not going to make it for the night. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not sure if we're able to talk about all of this stuff today, looking at the time and looking at all the stories we have ahead of us here. But that is a life-changing event and a big learning curve. And when you ask me about just moving a finger, you know, my sister, is she's a vet in Germany. She has her own podcast too incredible lady. Again, I can talk half an hour now about her, how proud I am about her because she's also a life of business coach, yoga teacher, starts her own stuff, wrote a book after she helped me in Australia about, you know, tough times and helping people with mental health. So she's helping people about mental health and stuff. There's only two females in Europe that drove with the pedal bike all the way across Europe. She drove 7,600 kilometers all the way from Spain, Portugal down there all the way through Norway-Russia border in two and a half months by herself. Unbelievable. Sleeping in a hammock and all these kind of things. But I know th- th- this, is, this is the stuff that it's just cool. But she was able to come down there and she's on the laptop and I try to tell her who to pay and where to send e-transfers and what because nobody had passwords or anything at home. And it was just, that was a big learning curve. You know, I just, I just right. had quit my job that summer and in the fall, I was self-employed, went down there and then yeah, a pretty bad car accident that I don't wish anybody ever at all. And, and thankfully, everybody got out of that accident well and alive again. That's, that's the biggest thing I want to say. Okay. There's a lot of what people happened? that helped that. Tell us what happened. Well, two cars collided on a country road. And, you know, by the time they got me out there is they figured out I had 12 fractures down my spine, top to bottom, starting on my neck. My left shoulder broken in, in half, almost, almost like the two fractures almost touched in the middle. A bunch of broken ribs, shattered rib cage, left arm still like, you know, that was shattered and then left open pelvis break. And the only reason why I'm still here is that nothing shifted off these fractures. So basically all these fractures happened, but all like the muscle and the meat, whatever else, they kept, kept everything in place. So, and the <laughs> fractures didn't move. Huh. So, but, you know, I could have been paralyzed five times over because I, I, I you know, it's the first responders, you know, I, I got a shout out to them because thankfully they were all trained on first aid. A lot of farmers down there are trained on first aid because they're firefighters in Australia, okay? So they knew not to move me when they found me. And then the first responders, flying doctors in Australia, so the equivalent to STARS got me to the hospital because I was way far away. Oh, I was wow. out in the boonies somewhere. Go to the hospital. And then the first, first two, three days and nights, I was just out like light. And I didn't even know I was going to make it. And the only thing now that, again, the doctor said, you're alive because nothing shifted. You are a hair, like a millimeter away from a titanium shoulder, a millimeter away from a titanium hip, and another millimeter away from a wheelchair or a wooden box. Like you shouldn't be here technically with all these things that you have. And, and you know, it, yeah, not sure if we're ready to talk about all of these things, but I think at some point the story, time, time, and some of the stories are, you know, I want to give the right credit to the people because 
yeah. two quick stories. I, again, if, if I start the story, yeah. it's, it's another hour, but man, but it's, there's, the there's, there's people, there's people that I didn't even know before I went to Australia and they came to the hospital and basically adopted me to help me out. They right. walked in the hospital because they were farmers, farmers and custom harvesters. And they walked in and said, Hey, we heard about this. How can we help you? An agronomist and a, and I, and I, they, they were like an agronomist that I spent time with before the accident, him and his wife, they flew to Perth and spent the first three days and three nights with me sitting in intensive care. We sat in a bed until my sister came and took over. They heard about it. They flew there and they did all the paperwork. They try to communicate to people, you know, I learned so these are these are the stories I want to tell. Because you can you probably couldn't share much in the beginning. You probably weren't able to really. Well, it's just there's just a lot going on with with everything. Like just it's a it's a big it's a big mental thing too, right? Like you gotta you gotta work through that, that you're pretty much you know, as doctors come in, multiple doctors, it's sort of like, well, I've never seen something like this on the x-rays, like I don't know how your life and you know, just working like i had to learn how to walk again so the first physio is like you know you're like they're touching your toe and moving your toe five times and they're like yeah that's physio for today I'm like what okay so but first you know they're touching well, your leg be like here for you, 14 years yeah man. like we gotta speed like, this up i got a company to run like do they it's like do they do you feel that do you feel this it's like all about they didn't even know if i was paralyzed oh my god for the first couple of days with yeah. all the pain meds and everything else and again i want to tell the story when it's like when we have the time to properly have the tribute for these people because they have done so much and again he's this other person in the accident too there everybody came out alive and well thankfully and you know and then you're also dealing with okay like is everybody okay like how is it going to work and i get some uh, folks pass away in the accident no no no, no. like i said everybody Good. is well and alive Everybody is okay. well and alive. Then you're in a foreign country and then it's also, okay, right. insurance. What happens with insurance? What happens with the cars? You know, driver's license, all this kind of stuff. Thankfully, it all, it all turned out well. Like it went through a proper investigation and whatnot, which, which had to be. But you're a foreign person in a foreign country. And, you know, it was, yeah. it was in the beginning for some of the authorities down there with all my respect here, you know, it was fairly easy for them to say, oh yeah, it's the, it's the foreign person's fault. It's all on him. And you were driving. Yeah. And then, you know, Australia down there, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, the foreign guy just drove on the wrong side of the road. And it turns out I wasn't, but oh, that wow. took a long time through the investigation and everything else. Right. But if there's no, so yeah. and that was a long investigation, which one of the, like they have a really good task force down there for for crash investigations. And that, that takes a long time to go through all that process. And I think that story at some point has to get told because other people could be in the same situation right now. Like right now, as we talk, there could be people stuck in Australia or other countries that are not allowed to come home because they were involved in an accident and they right. took their passports away or insurance says you can't leave until you get home or until we make a decision. And yeah. again, I'm just... I just, again, I want to make sure the story gets, tell, pro, gets told properly because it's important for me to A, that people learn from that and are aware of what can happen in this world. And B, I want to make sure everybody's also 
nobody understands anything wrong or something is ripped out of out of out of proportion. Well, what's the you know, takeaway so, then? If we can't have all of the nuts and bolts, what's the get an Uber when you're in Australia? <laughs> you have a dash cam. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't travel. Right. Don't travel without a dash cam. Interesting. So that that things like this happen because since then, you know, you you connect with other people and you meet people in the hospitals. Right. Very interesting too. Lots of conversations in the hospital there. And they're like, yeah, they that is pretty life stories. Oh, and then you meet lawyers along the way, right? And they go like, Yeah, that's pretty normal. You know, what what do you mean that's normal? Yeah. Somebody comes from a different country. It's just basically it's it's easy for some of the authorities to say, Oh yeah, that's that's their fault. Let's pin it on them. And yeah. but the, the again, the big portion is everybody is still healthy, which is the main thing, but every the aftermath of, you know, mentally going through all that stuff while trying to a, stay the alive. Guilt, eh? Yeah. Potential guilt, right? Potential. Somebody says that to you and you have this in your head and then, you know, month, month later, they tell you, no, it's not your fault. So again, like it's, there's a lot of pressure. How long were you in there? How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for about, month and a half and then it was a mix between outpatient physio and because you're kind of at the point where you're 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 too good but not good enough to get home yet you're too you're too good for a hospital you can't fly you can't fly well or insurance says this this has to get figured out first so right huh it could be a couple things like that why you couldn't fly so and then thankfully enough this australian family let me live with them down there so, and I only got connected through the Australian family through a very good contact in Manitoba. It also, I didn't even know before I went to Australia, like there is, there's something called a butterfly effect. You know, you do something good here yeah. and it does something else somewhere else in the world. And, and that, that family has done so many great things for me. You know, I was still like, even when I was out of the hospital, I was still learning how to walk and how to move. And I had this upper body brace like a Miami brace, yeah. they call it, goes all the way from here, all the way down to your waist. It keeps everything like straight because you, you, the whole basically spine is, is broken. And, you know, you have to roll a certain way in the morning and at night to change, to open it up and change the pads. So you open it up to change the pads and then you have to roll a certain way while you know your spine is broken. To, they can change the pads in the back, roll back yeah. and close it all up again. Like it's been a, a day and a half and I, and I don't wish anybody anything like that. Not even 2% of that. That's just, you can't, you can't move your, you can't, well, you're, you're getting a bedpan, right. For all the, all your business you got to do. So there is lots of weird stuff that you learn. And again, you had to learn how to walk again. Meanwhile, the business is still trying to run in Canada. And I, again, can just be thankful at this time we had a couple of people and I always say we as a Busher Plus is we for me, always has been as a, as a company. But so I say we, but at that time, there was a couple of people working. One of them became a business partner for a couple of years, which I'm very grateful for all the help along the right. way there. And, right. you know, they, they took the company and they ran it like it was their own. And, and that has just been, you know, we had farmers working trade shows at that time. I was in Australia. Right talking about egg days and the nurses asked my sister and my friend was a friend of mine flew down from Brandon down to Australia to spend three weeks with us and help my sister and me. 
And the nurse is like, what is this egg days Marcella keeps talking about? And they go, well, it's, it's, it's this trade show in January <laughs> in Canada. About egg days. And they're like, they're like, and like you got to tell him that he won't go to egg days. It's like he, like he, he won't be going anywhere for a long time. Yeah. And then you're in a wheelchair for a while and then you learn how to walk again and do steps and whatnot. It's a life lesson and it just shows how quickly life can change. It's a situation and a half. Again, the amount of people we've met, the farmers that helped out in Australia, the, the phone chain alone to reach my parents, we figured out had like over 60 some people involved because we now we have you know emergency contact forms in the company. Well, guess what? We didn't have that. So it was so many people involved in so many different countries. And my parents at home in Germany sick, right? Because all my family's back in Germany. So um, there's a lot to uncover in, in that whole story. And I hope, I hope I don't sound like I don't want to tell it. I want to tell it the proper way where people get credit. And it's, it's not this is a good story because it is a, it is a very interesting story that hopefully people can take away something. I've done some talks about it, like at churches or like other groups, just to, to talk about that, that some of those takeaways and, and yeah, the, the biggest thing is just the biggest takeaway. Some of those freak accidents can happen. It doesn't need to be anybody's fault, but you could be accused of it in a different country and, and that's not good. And then hopefully people find the right legal help to, to get out of that. So did faith play a component in survival? You know what? I, I grew up Christian and then in Germany, and then you kind of, you know, you become a teenager, you kind of wander off a little bit. Right. And you have, <laughs> you have a lot of questions <laughs> like how did that work? And how nothing, yeah. you know, and the interesting thing is the family that rescued me down there, they're from South Africa. It's now my second family and they are, they're very Christian. And they asked me one day when I was with them, I was still in my brace and on crutches. They're like, do you want to come to church with us? Just a gathering of a bunch of South Africans, you know? And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll come with you. I, I think that would be kind of nice. So they helped me in the car and all that kind of stuff, transferred me out there and walk in there. And within like five minutes, I have like, you know, five South African women, <laughs> their hands on my head, or on my shoulder, praying yeah. for me, right? And like, oh, lovey, what's going on? Just super nice. But I still remember the, 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 the pastor was talking about the patch, passages in the Bible about strong and courageous, to be strong and courageous. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think it was Moses splitting, splitting the water. And, but he had a way of taking these stories out of the Bible that are sometimes really hard to understand or how to, to interpret it, right? He took them and put a meaning to it into today's society, into today's everyday life, our lives right now with social media, with work, with entrepreneurship. And he took these stories and made it relatable. And, you know, my mom is sitting beside me, my Australian mom, I call her. She's sitting beside me and she's like, she's like, are you listening? I said, yeah, I'm listening. Are you listening? listening. Hit you over the head with a rod. You're not sleeping, are you? Yeah, well, if she hit me over the head with a rod that day, like... (laughs) My neck was still not my neck was still not good then. <laughs> Could have been fatal. So yeah, that would have been fatal. And I was like, yeah, I, I hear this. So they definitely <laughs> what happened, I, I kept going with them to church and it definitely kind of put another spark in it. You know, even in the accident when I woke up after and it's just been a it's been a very interesting journey. 
that that has definitely helped. I kind of felt, I talked to them about a lot about faith and I was like, well, I always felt a bit bad because I had so many questions about it. It's almost like you're, you know, you grow up Christian, but you are, you feel, you feel guilty questioning it because you have questions because it's, it's, yeah. it's a complicated thing to understand, right? There's other religions out there, you know, are we right? Are we wrong? And as a technical brain, anyways, you're analyzing stuff. And then they said like, well, if you wouldn't be a Christian, if you wouldn't have questions about all these things, it's normal. And I was like, oh, wow. Nobody ever, nobody ever said that like that. So I was able to accept some of the faith way of motivational stuff approach and kept going to that church. And a lot of these things he was saying sounded like all the motivational modern speakers today. <laughs> Where and, do you think it came from? Right? Yeah. It's so it's original. Like, it's like the original is probably lots of stories out of our good old Bible. And it's like, holy moly, I, I'm getting back into it. So <laughs> good for you, man. Whew. Yeah, that's incredible. But what did you learn about your company? Your company survived without you and maybe flourished in some ways. Was that a eureka moment too? It's like, hey, you know, we can scale this thing. It doesn't have to all be me because we talked about it, right? Our identity is so tied to the business, but then if the business can go without us, we almost feel a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. Like, you know, I need to be important. Like you can do this without me, but that's, that's Mecca is the self-managing yeah. company. Cause then you can go and build something else. Yeah. You might have five or 10 companies by the time you're done. Well, yeah. So here's the interesting part. I was out for a bit. Marcel wouldn't be Marcel if it's, <laughs> if it's pretty quickly a phone with WhatsApp because I still had yeah. one hand to type and audio messages to figure out a few things. But, but you're right. I wasn't there the entire time. But what it, what it has taught me is structure right, and backups because it cannot all be in one person's head. And that has taught me that you have to have structures in place and more people knowing the same things and cross training and those kind of things. Right. And after I was out of the hospital, it was almost like working remotely before COVID, you know, I was like tra yeah. the trendsetter of remote work. Uh, you were zooming before, <laughs> before the world was zooming. <laughs> like that sounds very, <laughs> very stupid, a joke about it here in my head, but yeah, that's almost what it was. But I was working remotely down there because I wasn't in the hospital for eight months, sorry, eight, yeah, eight months straight. You know, there was a lot of that happening later on, but the first couple of months, obviously I, I was out and I was just providing guidance over the phone, over WhatsApp, those kind of things. So yeah, it doesn't definitely prove that other people can take it too, if you have the right people. And, and at that point, you know, there was good people in place. Like I said, I'm, I'm most grateful for the people at the time. And like I said, you know, I was my business partner for a couple of years. It's been a great ride and it taught me a lot about organizing things and having backups in place and things like that. Yeah, for sure. That's a hallmark of a really good company over time. As inventive and creative, as fast moving as you are. It's the culture, the culture that we want to keep. I feel like we're coming to the end of the road here because I don't know where, you know, how we would top this last segment. I am really interested in kind of the A to Z of how you scale the company. Because you were talking about in the Brandon Chamber of the Brandon. The Brandon Chamber of Waffles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just made that shit up. Yeah. I think it's going to be big. Oh, actually, we should start it. I'm all over that. We could have breakfast there. The Brandon Chamber of Waffles. You sent Connor an email about that. Yeah. Well, let's get that going. 
Connor, if you're listening, just if your team is on it, just get some waffles going, would you? Thank you. <laughs> oh, where was I going? That no, you were talking about in your speech there how you expanded super rapidly here recently. I'm sure it's like a hockey stick, but it takes a while to get that good to great flywheel going. You're pushing really hard. You're pushing on a string. Also, but what was it like scaling the company for you? Oh, it's been wild. The last two years, two and a half years, have been really wild with the scaling. You know, we went from just a couple of people to now about thirty. We're exporting in about thirty-three different countries, as you mentioned. We're actively operating in the U.S. We have U.S. employees. You know, a lot of it was to make the decision of okay, I'm either going to I I can either just you know kind of keep doing this as a kind of yeah we're doing this or we're going to give our shit full tilt everything on one card and give our heart you know talk to the banks put that in place put money in place build the right business plan get the right people on board you know very fortunate to work with some good people around that i'm going to try and bring it home with one question and it kind of relates to one of the themes that we've been touching on often here my friend is that living in the gap what's it going to take to be happy how can we learn to be happy as you know entrepreneurs with an insatiable ambition and desire if we were talking on the podcast, we should try and do it again sooner. But say we were talking on the podcast three years from now, what would have had to have happened for you to feel like a success? Man, you're you're getting deep today. I, I knew. See, I've I've been on a lot of interviews and podcasts, but I knew why I was. I, I don't know. I was nervous about <laughs> this one with you because you know you're the Joe Rogan of Brandon. Oh, it's like, I know oh, Brandon, we're going to yeah. off Canada, just maybe. Like Sorry. Say, <laughs> just when I say like, she's Brandon hot. That's not what I meant. <laughs> it's, it's like, relatively speaking, it's like hot for Brandon. Like it's oh, like hot within like 150 people, not like 1.5 Okay, now billion. you're talking gears. Shut up. Now you're talking yourself down again here, my friend. That's not <laughs> how I meant it at That's all. True. I, and I should stop that. Oh it's boy. That habit of being very. Self-depreciating or whatever, you know, That's a, and as hard as we on, are on other people, myself, I'm speaking, you know, people around me, I think it's, it's because I'm, I'm the most critical on myself. So it's hard to realize, you know, I know you are three years from now, <laughs> what would it take for me to be happy looking back? Yeah. If in three years we can still stay, if we have achieved to stay true to our brand pillars hmm. of the farmer success we're very passionate about and have that technical excellence where our solutions help farmers and people around the world put more grain in the bin. And that sounds like a very standard thing, but is that is our passion for the company. But in conjunction of that, to have a company that can be not just a job for employees, but can really be a career and a place they want to work and a place they like to contribute and where they feel like, yes, we're doing something together. If we can achieve that in the next three years as a, and become this employer of choice and we can offer our employees those opportunities to grow within the company and help them with their families and their growth personally and in business, and again, at the same time, keeping all the customers happy and keep up with demand and keep up with the knowledge transfer and really helping everybody out. I think that would be looking back and saying, 
wow, we were able to scale, but at the same time, we stayed true to our first days, early days values of doing the right thing for the customer and for our team. You know, we're trying to do things different for the team. I'm, I mean, you swore a couple of times right now on the podcast or on this podcast. <laughs> so I think I can say it once. You know, I, I, worked for enough, <laughs> I worked for enough assholes in my life that I know how I don't want to be and how I don't want to run a company. Okay. So, and I want to do things different with, with our team because when you look after your team, your customers are getting looked after as well. And the customers are super, super important. No doubt about it. And I love to talk to the customers. I love to get that feedback, good and bad. But your people have to be there to support it. Because we all spend more time at work than we spend with our families. You and me anyways. But they, also the team and the employees, right? Eight hours a day, you're, you're going from home or more. Our salespeople are traveling a lot. Technical, like product specialists we have. Like that, that they're traveling a lot. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate this team. And when we can keep everybody healthy along the way and engaged and growing, that, that's something I would look back in three years and say, wow, actually we were, we were able to do this. And you know, we, we just rolled out a brand new benefits program here for December 1st. That's more than competitive for everybody. So again, you need your brand, you're a small brand and company. We're not in the Silicon Valley and we're not in a massive city and attract all the talent, but there is really, really good people around here. And we have a lot of really good remote people in other areas, but you have to, as a company, you have to offer them, them things that are different than somewhere else because you got to keep them around. And I'm truly passionate about them, not just to keep them around, but about them so they can grow as individuals. You're the equivalent of Brandon Hot. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I, I like Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you didn't say, well, I'm going to sell 13,000 bushel pluses, pros, draw pants to all the combines in Saskatchewan. Cause then I was going to challenge you. I was ready to challenge you right off the hop. I'm like, what if that doesn't happen, Marcel? Are you not going to be happy if you don't get to your goals? Like Mr. We've got to take over the world. But those things that you talked about are things that you actually can control. And, you know, they're, they're measurable, but they're, they're the kind of metrics that, that you can strive for and, and feel internal satisfaction. And sometimes, sometimes you're going to hit those marks as far as, you know, production and KPIs and EBITDA, EBITDA and yeah. all that stuff. Right. But man, net worth, net worth is all in our, in our network, in our relationships, you know, in our, in our social capital. And even as things get more, more automated, you know, like I could have, I could have taken all the stuff on social, social media and made a Marcel Kringler with, with AI, you know, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the real thing. It wouldn't be you. It wouldn't have all of you. It wouldn't have the accent, you know. No, it would have a perfect, perfect Marcel accent, but it still wouldn't be you. And so as much, as much as we get all this technology going and it does so much for us, I think even more so because of that, it's about people like 20, you know, a generation or two ago, it was much more about like hauling of water and hewing of wood and how much could you do of that? How hard did you work 
all that stuff. Now it's much more about relationships and building a team. And you've done an excellent job and I'm really proud of you. And it, I, I knew it was going to be a fantastic episode to have you on. It's meant a lot to me that you take the time. I know you're really busy, but it's, it's just, I'm so, you're such a big inspiration to me here, right? And Brandon. Oh man. You're Brandon hot. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's funny. Cause I look up to you and I figure <laughs> out how you do it all. So I appreciate oh, that. No, yeah, yeah. Man. no. Um, well, that's the funny how we look at each other, but it's funny. No, I'm really proud of you. And I think it's so cool to be, to be watching your journey. And I think about what's possible and where it's going to go. And likewise. Yeah, it will be interesting because I do, I think you don't, I don't know if you know enough and I know you don't think this way. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. <laughs> I, what, I, what I mean is you don't know enough. I think you're attached to your company in a way that you don't, you haven't thought this way a lot yet, and, but correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not one of these business guys that, that, that wakes up in the morning and, and said like every business that I'm going to build is going to be built to sell. You're not thinking that built to sell yet. But the funny part is, and I got a book for you, Built to Sell. And I had him on my podcast in the early days, Tom Warlow, John Warlow, John Warlow. He has a podcast that's exclusive. It's Built to Sell Radio. That's exclusively about entrepreneurs that have sold their companies. And the stories that come out of that are absolutely incredible in the learning. But there's something there, whether you're actually building to sell or not, the way that you, the way that you would build to sell is so critical in a company. It's like when you went to Australia there and got in that situation, it's all about building that process and not being involved. And one of the metrics that people look at when they go to buy a business like yours is how much does the founder actually do? Like they'll ask, you know, who does your invoicing? And it, and if the founder's answer is like, well, I'd usually try and do get the invoicing done because nobody else can do it right. But I, I generally do it on like Saturday evenings or yeah. Sundays. And then they're like, okay, next, yeah. right? You, you can't, can't. And sometimes just with, like we talked to pros and cons of, of, of business, there are things that your company can't do unless it kind of goes to that stage where there's capital or, you know, levels of whatever. And maybe you won't want that. But I think, you know, even in three years, like I can, you can't tell me you haven't had people picking up the phone and saying, Hey, you got a number. Like you, you, you got to sell the company one day, Marcel. Be real. Well, don't push it's me, Dan. If you want it, just tell me. Don't push, like, me. Don't push me. Like, just tell me that you want it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then wait. <clears throat> just I got a checkbook in here. Somewhere. Yeah. Like, oh, I have right here. Pretty aggressive. Hey, oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well, you you start writing. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Like, it's not really built to sell here at at, at Bushel Plus. But what I find interesting about the concept is you still have to build a company with the proper processes if you sell or you don't sell, because these processes will make your business better. If Marcel has to come in on a Saturday or the founder to invoice and do all these things, that, that's not scalable. What I find yeah. interesting in this whole concept is the scalability of making it work. Have the people do what they do best and not the founder doing everything. That, that's not scalable. But you know, currently, I can tell you right now, it, it, it's currently not in discussion. It's currently not, 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 not the goal. It's actually the opposite. We're, we're going to expand. You know, we purchased Matt Concaves last summer and officially took over in the fall. So now Matt Concaves is, you know, it, it's now called 
bushel plus mad concaves. So we bought out mad concaves. That's a whole nother episode for part three. And, you know, we, we are continuing egg training in Germany. I'm sure there will be a couple other companies that are going to be part of Bushel Plus in the next couple of years. So currently we're actually looking for ourselves to grow in this whole marketplace. So we're currently doing the opposite. It's so funny though, that you think that way. God bless you. Because when you think of it, okay, well, no, we're going to keep the company where it can keep expanding, but there will come a time. It's nature, it's physics, whereby in order to expand and go much longer, just like when you realize you, when you're in a hospital bed in Australia, you know, you got to work on the scalability of the, this, this thing. At some point, like there's levels in business and at some point you're going to need to take, of course, it you know, companies can stay private and go on their own forever in a day. But at some point, if you're truly serving the business, just like your kids one day will grow up and move out and go on and do their own things, that might be the best thing for the viability of the company. But regardless of, of whether you're going to, you know, thinking about selling or not, but I'm just telling you, man, and you you might become that entrepreneur, that founder, that inventor, where your best service to the world, being Brandon hot as you are, is actually. <laughs> if you can, if you're listening to this, does that qualify? He's me, wiggling or? his ears, which I'm sure the ladies find fascinating from across the room. You just wiggle your ears, and that's a signal for them to probably come approach you. But anyways, I'm not going to lecture you too much about it, but I. I should give you this book or you should listen to that podcast. Here's the thing, Dan. One of the reasons why I, I also don't make a big fuss about that or, or talk about that, especially like, I mean, I'm on your podcast, so I appreciate you asking me those questions. Our employees and team will also probably listen to this podcast, right? And I think... I, I totally get that. I, I think it's also for... And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but if a, if a founder goes out... And, and actively says things like, oh, yeah, we're going to sell this and, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to walk away from it. I find it very disrespectful to the team and the people that work their ass off in there, right? So, again, this is not, could it happen? Never say never, right? Yeah. But if it would happen, and this is just a big if, okay, so everybody bear with me. It would have to be a very well-upwritten deal where... I know culture will change. It just it does change when things like this happen, or certain things change. But it has to be that people have a future, and that people are looked after, okay, and that that certain things have to stay a certain way. That is what made Bushel Plus successful. And again, the biggest thing is the people at Bushel Plus and the team. And if there's ever something like this happening, it will only happen if it's the right decision for the company and the people. And it, and it may, but I can tell you honestly today. That's what I'm saying. It, That's it all may, I'm saying. It, it may, but all I'm saying today is it's not in my mind right now. We're actually looking at acquiring other businesses. And, you know, I, I welcome every contact that somebody has out there that wants to chat with us. I love talking to other innovative people and, and see what they may want to do with us or any kind of partnerships. We are very open to this and helping others grow as well. But that's kind of where my head is right now. And I actually had a couple of people asking me in the interview. They're like, hey, Marcel, am, am I going to start here? And then 12 months from now, you're going to sell this thing? And then, and then it's all changing. I said, I said, no. And I gave him the same answer as I gave you. So it's not in my mind. We're actually going the opposite. It may happen. Never say never. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, would have you thought that 
half the world is in a war as it is right now a few years ago. If somebody would ever told you about COVID 10 years ago, would you believed it? Yeah. Right? We don't know yeah. what life is throwing at us, but you have to be prepared with the right processes just to have a better company. Sell or not sell, you need to have a company structured. I totally agree with what you said there. And that's completely the context of what I think about it and what I, what, you know, and it is a very dangerous say, thing to say to employees that you're going to sell this as though somehow the culture and, and the family that you built is going to dramatically change overnight and it'll be sort of heartlessly sold down the river for a big old check. No, that's not. That's... So you can build a big, big, big house on the hill in Brandon. But I think <laughs> what I, what I mean is oftentimes business as businesses evolve, they are best served by growing in that fashion and not doing so as a disservice to your, your company employees. And you'll know if that time, if, and when that time ever comes, but regardless, building to sell is a good, is a good strategy, but we could debate all that stuff till the cows come home. Oh yeah. As entrepreneurs I mean, and we will, we will continue to, we, you should get that. I say you should, <laughs> I'm shooting you now. <laughs> you got lots of time on your hands. You should get that entrepreneurial group going again. <laughs> oh, right. That was a good group. I like that. No, I, you know, I liked, I, it was fun. We got to get back together on that and have our entrepreneurial self-help groups. Almost feels like a self-help group when you get a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room here in, in Brandon hot. <laughs> well, I tell you Friday nights. I'm just fried. You know, I was thinking about that and that's when I'm at my lowest is, you know, Friday nights and whatnot. So maybe, you know, every second Friday night or something, we should have a little get together and have a happy hour or something at the end of the day. And, and really we might feel better by sharing our, our problems and our, maybe our wins too. It's not always some Fridays I'm celebrating. There you go. That's for sure. So I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> if I ever get to talk, if I ever get to talk when you were on today, I was, that was the most time I ever, could ever talk with you. <laughs> I know. It's usually, usually when I see it at a trade show, it's like, okay, go. It's usually you talking. That's you. what I love about this is I've learned, hopefully learned to talk less. I actually talk more in this podcast than I usually do because I, I just got excited about what we we're jamming about there. I try to ask questions like, with five words in them, like five word sentence, and then just shut up. I don't experience this in real life. It's amazing what you can find out and what people talk about when you actually like listen and then ask another question instead of like saying, yeah, that's like what a time when I did this. It's incredible what you find out. And we found out a lot of incredible things today. So anyways, thanks so much, man. Really proud of you. I love you lots. You're a good man. You're a good friend. And likewise, I'm proud of you. I love you. Thank you very much for the opportunity here. And thank you for, for this. It's been a long time coming. So Dan's been hunting me for a while. You can tell. We just shot out of the gate. Yeah. The 10 part series. That time Marcel was in Siberia, part four. <laughs> but it's it, it is amazing because you do have all this like these crazy stories, and I would love to hear them all all one day. So anyways, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Hey, right on. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for listening. And yeah, thank you everybody out there for all the support. I very much appreciate it. Thanks for making Canada home. Anybody in Western Canada, I'm pretty sure you know how to get a hold of Marcel, but just for the people that didn't know how Brandon Hot you were before this episode, what? how do they get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of us here is our website, bushelplus.com, or you find us on all social media platforms under at bushelplus, or you find me on LinkedIn under Marcel, K-R-I-N-G-E, Marcel Kringer. Yeah, reach out. I'd love to hear from people and our team. Our products are in most dealerships across Canada. Walk into your dealer and ask about Bushel Plus products. 
if it's concave, smart pen systems, or mini combines. So we didn't even get into this. I know. Well, we got to do it again. Oh, yeah. We got to do it again. All right. Thanks, brother. Right on. Hey, thank you very much. See you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We really appreciate that you'd spend some of your valuable time with us. We would like to give a shout out to Stephen and Veronica and the whole team at PodSound School for their talent and hard work in editing and producing these episodes. Be sure to check them out at www.podsoundschool.com. Also, Nicole Doobie from Eberhard Egg Solutions. Thank you so much. Nicole's really passionate about making these episodes come to life and sharing them with you. Please, let's stay in touch. You can communicate with us on any of the social media platforms. You can also check us out on YouTube. And sign up for our newsletter, growingthefuturepodcast.ca, so you don't miss an episode. Do not forget to check out the Aberhart family of companies online to aberhartfarms.com, suregrowth.ca, convergencegrowth.com, and aberhartagsolutions.ca. Links are in the episode notes. We would love to hear from you. Reach out and tell us what you like about the show or what we could do to improve upon this. And we will send you some free swag. Until next episode, folks, let's keep it real. Growing the future together. Oh.